Welcome to episode four of the Gospel Forum podcast. We're back here again with my same friends you've heard in the last few episodes, Paul Pilgrim and James. And my name is Dan Sardinas, and we are a collective of Reformation-minded Christians who care deeply about doctrine and fidelity in the local church. And so we're here to talk about such things. But guys, before we dive into such important matters, what's going on? Well, today is a very exciting day for me, and it's not that there's anything specifically exciting about today, but from today, I don't know when this is going to get released, but today on January 30th, we are 13 days away from pitchers and catchers reporting to spring training. Yes. Very excited about that. Actually, by oh, the time this... this, this w- football or... Uh, no, cricket. soccer. The real sport. Cricket. Uh, it's called baseball. Reading. Pilgrim wasn't allowed to play sports growing up. <laughs> he had hippie parents, and there's this whole thing. And yeah. Sports were even. Uh, but baseball, yeah. Apologies to Pilgrim's mom and dad if they're listening. James just. No, uh, I've met them. I, I, they're really nice. Okay. Yeah. yeah. My no, parents I were hippies. I played T ball until, you know, that's inappropriate to play. So I was like 18 or 19, still playing T ball. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Fantastic. But a anyway, uh, actually, really? the week this episode probably gets released, I think, should be. The first week of baseball, the first week of the season. Wow! Yeah, wow. Okay. So, how many more scandals going to break out between now and then? Predictions. Predictions. predictions? Uh, this is my prediction: the Yankees are going to win yes. 119 games. All right. Okay. Well, they is, better anything. This less is January 30th. Their money's I'm predicting that the Yankees will win 119 games. That sounds crazy. The record is Seattle. They did it in 2001 with 116. The Yankees will win 119 games. They'll breeze the playoffs. They'll win the first World Series in 11 years. That's my prediction. Garrett Cole wins Cy Young. Can Giancarlo we get Stones Stanton. ready? Stones for what? He's you trying to call you a false prophet. Whoa, whoa. I didn't say this was prophecy. Prediction. Your prediction. 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 It's my prediction. All right, okay? no, sir. Based on divine revelation. That seemed like that's <laughs> cathedral right there. I don't know. I'm a Yankee I know fan. you like my prediction. I, I love your prediction. I love your prediction. Well, so. anything less than a World Series, and then the Yankees will be disappointed because look how much money they've spent. Okay, let's keep, okay, let's, let's let's keep moving. I want to say one thing. Well, what's your People don't understand Dan? what happens when teams like the Yankees spend money. They lose draft picks. Those draft picks go to teams like the Rays. That's why the Rays, although their payroll is, what, $60 million, I, I they're predict, still competitive. I predict that Paul will still be crying a few months from now. <laughs> Okay. I second that. I say the Falcons will win the Super Bowl. Well, they're not in it. So You're talking about 2021. The next right? year. He's talking about next year. We're still talking about baseball, right? Yeah, this is yeah, actually yeah. still Super Bowl week. But anyway, well, let's transition into our main topic of the day. And we're going to be talking about a very easy topic to understand. Probably the easiest. The easiest. One that Christians have had no trouble wrestling with throughout no the centuries. Not controversial. No. And it's the Trinity. Yep. And something that makes perfect sense. And yeah. right, Paul? Uh, I'm not quite there yet with you guys <laughs> on that one. <laughs> well make sure you check out our featured article of the week, which is Paul's article on the Trinity. And we do have a featured article that goes with an episode every week. And so this week it's the Trinity. So Paul, what do we need to know about the Trinity? What is the Trinity? Or what, is it more appropriate to say who is the Trinity or what is the Trinity? Both. I guess it's both appropriate, right? Yeah, and you know, I think a lot of people, when, when they start talking about the doctrine of the Trinity, they get tongue-tied and their mind goes off in a, a, a fog. Uh, but I just want to say, I mean, I think we all recognize 
it's probably, well, it is one of the most significant doctrines in Scripture. It's one of the non-negotiables mm-hmm. for Orthodox Christianity. And I want to put a lot of people at ease by this statement, and please don't misunderstand me. And listen, the doctrine of the Trinity is easy to state. Mm-hmm. It's very simple, uh, but it's extremely complex in its comprehension. Absolutely. And I hope everyone understood the sarcasm leading into this segment. It's, yeah, we were just being sarcastic about it being easy. Yeah. But yes, absolutely. Right. Paul. I mean, you know, I mean, very simply, let's start with, and this is a, a very simplistic definition, and we're going to expand uh, it on its meaning. But it uh, clearly, uh, what the Bible teaches, there is one God, and he exists in three distinct persons. And uh, what I mean by that, again, this is unpacking it a little bit. There's one God essence, and, there's, and it's made up of three people. Each person is distinct from one another. They're fully God, uh, but they share the same essence, which does not mean God the Father is 33% and a third God, and Jesus is 33% and a third God, and the Holy Spirit the same. Is there each 100% God? So the Trinity is made up of Father, Son, and Spirit. Yeah, and I think that's very, you know, in America, that seems to be uh, the obvious. But in, uh, when I served in North Africa as a missionary among Muslims, they thought the Trinity referred to Father, Son, and Mary. Yes. So, yes, we do need to be clear on that. Yeah. You know, it is like we're saying it's kind of hard to wrap our minds around. And I think in the past, we've found ourselves getting a lot of trouble when we try to pretend like it's not hard to get our minds wrapped around. And yeah. often what we'll do is use analogies from creation to try to explain what the Trinity is like. So I know for me growing up, I was always told that, well, all you need to do to understand the Trinity is just keep on beeping on. <laughs> no, Pilgrim always forgets to put his phone away. We got callers already calling in wanting to know about the Trinity. Well, we're very busy. We're, yeah, we can't just... answer all the questions. But I remember growing up, um, I was often told that the Trinity was like an egg. And this comes to mind because you just said something about the Father being 33% God, the Son. And I was told that God was like an egg. How In one egg, you have the shell, the yolk, and the egg white. And while the shell is not the yolk and the yolk is not the egg white, there are three parts that make up the whole. And it's actually something really similar to what St. Patrick used to do when, in his mission trips to, um, to Ireland. Uh, he would often do nothing other than bend down and pick up a, a three-leaf clover, a shamrock, and he'd raise it above his, his head and he'd, he'd ask the people, is this one or is it three? And people would kind of be confused. And then after some time, people would start shouting out, it's one. And others would say, no, it's, it's three. And it was only a matter of time before someone would say, no, it's the one or the three that make up the one, the three parts that make up the whole. And St. Patrick would say, yes, and as it is with God, three parts that make up the whole. However, what we have there, although it might seem helpful to people in understanding the Trinity, we have is something called partialism, tritheism, where each member of the Trinity is one-third God, and when they come together, they create God, mm-hmm. full God. And I think that's where we need to start, basically by saying what the Trinity is not. Mm. And uh, the significant aspect in trying to uh, explain the doctrine of the Trinity is the task is we're trying to explain something that's other than anything that exists. It cannot be compared to anything. Cannot compare. 
Yeah. Like when, you know, again, a missionary going to the deep, darkest jungles in South America or Africa, uh, you know, me go, or me going back in the time, trying to explain to someone what a 747 is, you know, I would use analogies like a bird or things of that nature. And you could get kind of close to it. But the problem with it, there is nothing mm. in nature that comes close to describing the triune God. Mm. And we, the problem is because we want to, to communicate it so eagerly that we cross the line many times. Because it, the tension of mystery is not one that many people like to hold to. They want to figure things out. They want to know what one plus one plus one equals, right? It's three. And that's what we want to do with the Trinity and say, well, that doesn't make sense, and then try to find ways to explain it. But then we lose the whole mystery and, and, and beauty of God, yeah. uh, the majesty of God. The, he cannot be just figured out with an equation or a, or a picture or an illustration. Uh, there is mystery, and that's what makes God be God. He is unknowable. He's unsearchable. Uh, the psalmist says, you know what I mean? He's, he's unknowable in that way. Of course, we can know him, but he's, he's un, he, we can't fully know him because he's God. It's impossible. Yeah, yeah so it, it, it's really ignorant and arrogant to think that us with our finite minds, with our finite minds, that we could fully understand who God is. Einstein once said something along the lines of, we know less than one one millionth of all there is to know. So if us with, with those minds that are so limited, that lacks so much knowledge. I mean, if we could fully understand God, what kind of God would he be? Mm-hmm. He so would not be God. So we come to these things, and we have to recognize sometimes in the Christian faith there are secret things that mm-hmm. belong to the Lord, and I think the Trinity is one of those. So quickly, let's hit on some of the things that are used so much to describe the Trinity, but by saying it's not the Trinity. Pilgrim, can you give us an example that people use to try to explain yeah. the Trinity that's not the Trinity? Yeah, um, a lot of times I've heard a, a corresponding illustration that, well, I am pilgrim, so I am a dad, and I'm a husband, and I'm a donut enthusiast. So (laughs) because I'm those three things, um, but I'm still me, um, then that is a great, uh, you know, description of the Trinity. And that's actually um, a kind of a false view of the Trinity called modalism, that, that God just kind of shows up as the Father and then kind of morphs into the Son and then and then leaves and comes back as the Holy Spirit. That there's, so, no, that there's no distinction. No distinction. Yeah. So what we're talking about here is unity in diversity. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about God, one God, three persons, we might be tempted to think that that phrase person means that there's kind of a separate uh, moral individual that we have in our, our personality in man, where we have an independence of will and action and feeling. Um, and really, we, we kind of misunderstand that. Um, we have to understand God as one in essence, personality, and will. So when we say God's a trinity in unity, um, we're, we're saying that he is, that there's unity in diversity, um, and that diversity is manifested in not the same person morphing and looking a little bit different, taking a different mode, uh, but that diversity manifests, manifests itself in ca- the characteristics and persons and in operations that mm. are distinct from one another and yet unified in the overall purpose. Yeah. yeah I think one reason why we fail to understand the Trinity is because we fail to recognize the difference between, as, as Dr. James White says, the being of God and the persons of God. So all of us recognize that we have being and we have personhood. So me, I am a human being. That's what I am. And I am James. That's my personhood. That's, that's who I am. 
So, so God, like us, has being and he has persons. Although the scriptures, unlike us, unlike man, scriptures have revealed God to be one in being. Here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, right? He's one in being, but we see three distinct persons within that one God. And we're definitely not polytheists. You know, uh, no. My Muslim friends accuse me of worshiping three gods. My Hindu friends say, yeah, you know, throw, throw in three more gods with our 300 million gods. Yeah. Uh, so we, you know, we can have a hard time putting our mind around it that they each are fully God, yet there is one God. And that's the uncomprehensible aspect to his essence. Yeah, and Paul, you say in your article that this divine and infinite being consists of three real persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These three have the same substance, power, and eternity, each having the whole divine essence without this essence being divided. And so they're, like you said, they're all equal. Uh, they're, they're all co-equal in, in, uh, in person and, um, and power and strength. But they, uh, obviously, and so, so what makes the Father distinct from the Son and the Son distinct from the Spirit and, and, and so on? What, what, what are these distinctions? How do we see their roles uh, played out uh, throughout the Scriptures, Pilgrim? Well, there's a diversity in operation, right? So the way that we look at the functions ascribed to each of the persons in the Godhead, especially in relationship to man's redemption, um, we start seeing a, a bit of a subordination. So there's equality, and yet there's a willing submission from Jesus the Son in preference to the Father. And then there's a, an order uh, of priority where the Spirit must be given after Christ is ascended and only reflects back on uh, the work that Christ did. Christ only did what pleased the Father and only did what the Father directed him. Uh, and so I, I like to think of it like the Father works through the Son, by the Spirit. Mm. So there's very distinct um, operations that each member of the Trinity um, specifically is focused on or is, um, is responsible for, I guess you could say. So I think that helps. To kind of, it's, it's directed from the Father, it's through the Son, and it's by the Spirit. So um, as the Son is sent by the Father, the Spirit is sent by mm-hmm. the Father and by the Son. Mm-hmm. I think it's also important that we look at the whole scripture and totalitary from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, we're monotheist. You know, the great Shema, the Lord God, I think you said it earlier, James, the Lord our God is one, the only one living God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord uh, our God, the Lord is one. And that's from Deuteronomy 6.4. But in the New Testament, that is uh, also reaffirmed in many places. And... Uh, and so as we move on, let's break it down and show their distinction. You know, God, our Father, that's the one most people have a firm grasp. Mm-hmm. Old Testament proclaims God as Father. New Testament proclaim, proclaim God as Father. Uh, I don't think there's a lot of argument no. or dissension in that. That seems to be consistent, easily consistent through Old and New Testament. I think that the problem comes in when we get to the doctrine as Jesus as God. God the Son, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also I think it's very important to note that that they are three working together and and they all are accomplishing the will of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, and we see them active in creation. Mm-hmm. For example, we see them active at the baptism of Jesus. You know, the Father speaks, the Son is being baptized and, the and the Spirit descends like a dove. We see them active 
in the role of salvation, mm-hmm. uh, where the Father elects and the Son redeems and uh, the Spirit draws. And so we see this all throughout all throughout the scriptures where the work of the Trinity is one is God uh, working in that way in three persons throughout the whole Bible and throughout our whole world today. And so we, we cannot see them individually in this way. We see them working together for mm-hmm. one goal, and that's the glory of the Godhead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Athanasian Creed puts it like this. says, uh, we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither uh, blending the persons nor dividing their essence. Mm-hmm. So they, they have one will. Mm-hmm. They have one purpose. Right. They're achad. Right. It says the Lord is one. Achad, they are one in purpose. Yeah, it's not, right, it's not that Jesus wants to do his thing and, and the Father does his thing and the Spirit says, well, I'll just go along with you guys. You know, it doesn't work like that. They all have one, one will. And, of course, Jesus, when he was on earth, expressed it a little bit differently. Uh, you know, he says, my, my will is to do the will of him who sent me. Mm-hmm. And so that's his, that's his passion, that's his driving focus, was to please his Father. But that was also his will. Uh, we see also, um, you know, in, in the prayer in John 17, not my will be done, but your will be done, his passion for his Father. Of course, there's dynamics there of, of, uh, of, of the incarnate Son in yeah. human flesh accomplishing that. That's, uh, we don't have time to dissect all of that. But anyway, the, the whole purpose is what I'm trying to say is that they're, uh, they're, they're not at, at, at odds with one another. Uh, they're all working to one end. Yeah, Colossians chapter 1 speaks about uh, Jesus, and in verse 15 says, He is the image of the invisible God. Verse uh, 19 says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, or the, the fullness of the Godhead you know, dwelling bodily. Yes. Uh, and so we see that um, in Jesus the Son. Um, and then we, we talk about God the Holy Spirit. So we have God the Father, kind of uh, universally accept that, God the Son in the person of Christ, mm-hmm. and then we have God the Spirit. Now, would the correct pronoun, what would the correct pronoun be to describe the Holy Spirit? Would it be he or it? He. Definitely. It would be blasphemous referred to as an yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If I, if I refer to one of our wives as an it, think we all be pretty offended yeah because our wives are not it's they are persons and so it is with mm-hmm. the holy spirit it is a he he's definitely a, yeah definitely a person um and i think that gets uh i know on a lot of <laughs> i just was cringing and i'm sure you guys were too a few years ago when this you know when star wars uh the this whole new set of trilogies came out and the force awakens um movie came out episode seven i think it was about 2016 or 17 anyway and uh, churches all around the world did The Force Awakens, and it was a series on the Holy Spirit, and they were equating the Holy Spirit to nothing more than the Force in that way, and that He's just a power. Um, it's a, a win. It's, it's a spirit. Right, right, exactly. Lowercase s. Right, exactly. And so they're really diminishing the personhood of the Holy Spirit and just making uh, Him an it, uh, something... That is who he, who he is not, and that just drove me crazy. So yeah, the answer to your question, and the Bible, Jesus refers to him by he. You know, I will send you another comforter. Uh, he, he refers to him with those pronouns as well. Right, and that word another does not mean a different person. It means someone just like me. One of another, the same kind. Right, one of yeah. the same kind. And we see the equality of the Holy Spirit 
with the Father and the Son at the Great Commission when Jesus says, all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. Uh, go and make the disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, we, we, we have this idea sometimes. I think you said this either this podcast or another podcast, but we have like Jesus in the flesh, like he's a man. And then we have God in heaven, and he's like this grandpa figure, right, where he's like this, this old guy and he's got this long flowing hair. And then we have the Holy Spirit who's like this force, mm-hmm. right? Well, that's a terrible way to think of it. God, the Father, is also spirit. Mm-hmm. The pre-incarnate Son, Jesus Christ, is spirit. Right. So we have this idea that there's two persons and like this one mystical presence that right. fills a room and changes an atmosphere. Well, no, the Holy Spirit is a person, just like the Father is a spirit mm-hmm. in a person, and the Son is a spirit in a person. Yeah. And Scripture makes it clear the Holy Spirit is God. Uh, the story of uh, Ananias and Sapphira. Acts 5. Right, Acts 5, when yeah. uh, they concluded together to... Uh, to lie about selling a piece of property and the money they gave to the church. And Peter tells uh, Ananias, why have you lied to God? Mm-hmm. And then just a couple of verses later, he said, you have not lied to man, but you lied to the Holy Spirit, or vice versa. I think he starts off yeah. saying, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? And then uh, two verses later, says, you didn't lie to man, you lied to God. So he used yeah. them interchangeably. He used them interchangeably, right. of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is a super important topic for every Christian. Uh, this is not relegated to high and lofty theology that only, you know, theologians and people at seminary need to kind of think through. I think this touches at every level. It says in Daniel 11:32, the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. In other words, those who truly know God are the ones who are, are standing firm and, and willing to do something. It says um, from the words of Jesus, John 17, 3, this is eternal life to know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So mm-hmm. eternal life is about ultimately, truly knowing uh, the person and work of God. So, uh, super important topic for us. We've got to know this. We got to study it, and we're looking forward to your article. Yeah, excited for. I think it might be beneficial before we, we sign off. We just mentioned a passage where the Holy Spirit is clearly identified as God. I'm not sure if we mentioned one for Jesus being God or deity. Well, what are some of your favorite passages referring to Christ as a deity, as God? Like you said before, Paul, no one would really debate the fact that the Father is God. But of course, in our world today, so many of the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, um, you know, obviously the Jews and, and, and the Muslims, they would reject the notion that Jesus is God. So why do we believe biblically that Jesus is God? Right. Well, two of the biggest chapters, one is Philippians 2, mm-hmm. uh, where it said, though he uh, exists in the form of God, he did not... Uh, consider, uh, uh, you know, something to be grasped, something equality to, with equality God. Equality with yeah. God to be mm-hmm. something, which means he did not, by claiming to be God, he wasn't robbing God of anything. He right. already possessed it. And we throw, he laid aside the thing, he laid aside his deity. And again, that's probably another topic, another thing, but sure. he didn't lay aside his godness, his divinity. Uh, and then John 17, how many times? Me and my father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the father just over and over again. And then we uh, actually earlier podcast, we had mentioned how God, uh, Jesus forgave sins. People query that where he's making himself equal to God. Yeah. Right. He said, uh, I am, uh, you know, before Abraham was, I am, uh, you know, so there's just uh, multiple scriptures where Jesus clearly states that he is God. Yeah. There's, there's many, uh, Colossians one, John one, but I would also say uh, Hebrews one, three is one of my favorites. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. 
and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. I mean, how, how much more specific can you get? And even if you go on in Hebrews, this is one of my favorite passages to share with someone who says, well, only the Father is God. A lot of people claim Jesus never to be God. We demonstrated that's not true. But I, I love to go to Hebrews chapter 1. Yes. Um, the idea here is that Jesus is, is, is greater than angels, and that's kind of what the whole book is about. Jesus is the greater than. And starting in verse 5, the author says, For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn to the world, he says that all God's angels worship him. Hmm. Who says that? The father says that. Mm -hmm. The father instructs the angels to worship Jesus. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers flame of fire. Now listen to this, chapter verse 8. But of the son, he says, so this is the father speaking of the son. This is what the Father says to the Son in verse 8. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Not only does Jesus claim to be God, yeah. not only do the Pharisees recognize that he claimed to be God, but the Father calls Jesus God. Amen. Amen. That's right. And that's a quote from Psalm 45. Mm -hmm. Paul, yeah, or The writer of Hebrews is mm -hmm. quoting uh, Psalm 45. Very good. Awesome, guys. Well, we... <laughs> We can go on and on. We could do 55 episodes on, on that uh, uh, doctrine alone and uh, not even do it justice. But let's wrap it up for now. For more information, make sure you check out our featured article of the week, which is What is the Trinity by Paul Taylor. It's available on thegospelforum.com. Make sure you check that out along with other helpful resources. Well, guys, let's go. Uh, let's change topics. Uh, go to our pick. Yeah. Of the week. This is going to be a segment where we we want to recommend something to our listeners. And again, it could be anything. It could be uh, an album, an app, a movie, something we're into. Uh, it could be something fun, just just kind of lighthearted that we just want to recommend to our listeners. So, what what do you guys got? Yeah, I, I would love to recommend a, a band that uh, that I've just come across in the last year or two. Um, incredible worship group called City Alight. In fact, our home church does many of their songs. And in a time when it's so hard to find songs that are uh, full of rich, biblical, sound, doctrine, theology, they are a group that are not only talented and writes beautiful you know, melodies, um, but they have such wonderful lyrics that are rooted in the scriptures, that are easy to sing. Um, and I, I would recommend them. And just some songs that I would recommend by them that have really blessed me. I have a song called Yet Not I, But Through Christ in Me. Ancient of Days, Only a Holy God, and a song called Grace, which is probably my favorite. So are they available like on Apple Music or You can find them on iTunes? Apple, you can okay. find them on Spotify. If you All don't right. have those, you can go on YouTube and find them. Um, but I would encourage people to listen to them. If any worship pastors or worship leaders are listening to this, I would encourage you also to listen and consider using some of their songs in your worship services. Good. Yeah, I wanted to uh, recommend an app, actually. Um, a lot of us... We're kind of focusing in our church on prayer a little bit more at the beginning of this year. And for many of us, prayer is a, it's a desire but not a priority. And I found that, you know, when I want to make something... It's okay. Just give me... All right. Okay. It's okay. Keep I find. What's up? Hey. Look at who's here. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, thanks for interrupting. That's all right. Keep going. Okay. Where should I just... Just start over. Recommend. Start yes. over. All right. 
Yes, so I want to recommend... What are you recommending? Yes, I want to recommend an app uh, called Echo. It's a prayer app. Uh, This year, we've really tried to help encourage our church to pray. Uh, We sometimes have a desire to pray, but we don't make it a priority. So uh, this is an app that helps you be reminded to pray. So you can put people's names in. Uh, It kind of gives you little, you know, chimes, reminders, notifications. And uh, I have seen... You know, the prayer requests that people give us as a church, I'm able to put those in, pray for certain um, specifics, and it's it's great. It's a free mm. app called Echo Prayer. Hmm. Great. Paul? Well, I don't have anything as exciting as a Bible app or music, uh, but I've come across a Bible reading uh, plan. Uh, if you really have a desire to read through God's Word uh, this year, there's a gentleman by the name of Robert Murray McShane, famous uh, Christian uh, from the uh, 19th, early 19th century. Uh, you read through the Old Testament and then one, one time through in the New Testament twice. And uh, it's a great plan. You can probably find it on the Internet or Banner of Truth uh, has some copies. Uh, but if you, if you want to commit to getting on a schedule to read through the Bible in a year, I promise you, you'll be blessed. Awesome. And my recommendation, my pick of the week is and actually an app as well. It's an app called Verses. And it's one of the most helpful apps on uh, memorizing scripture that I have ever found. Uh, It's really good. uh, There was a one-time cost at one point, but like all apps, they're going to a subscription model. But it's very uh, inexpensive. I think it's like five bucks for the year, uh, which is well worth it in memorizing scripture. Uh, And it really does some really cool things. It allows you to do the fill in the blank uh, typing it out, or you could even say the verse to the app, and it captures your voice and and records it and quizzes you. It's really good and helpful, not just memorizing uh, one verse, but even uh, like a whole chapter. Uh, and you could do as 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 big of a chunks as you can. So check out Verses. I know it's on the Apple App Store for iPhone, iOS. I'm not sure if it's on Android, but check it out if you're uh, definitely in the iOS ecosystem. Well, let's close out episode four with Gospel Nugs. With Pilgrim Benham. Awesome. So often when we read the Old Testament, we see a narrative and we see a character in that story. And we put ourselves, we read ourselves into the story. And nowhere do we do that more than perhaps, or more universally than perhaps, the story of David and Goliath. And so we read about how David slew the Philistine and we think, okay, that's me. So I just need five smooth stones. And we allegorize these stones to be faith, hope, love, power, and Chick-fil-A breakfast. And (laughs) with these stones, I can defeat my giants. Maybe my giant is lust. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's fear or trouble. So as long as I do this or do that, I can fell my giants. I would need more than five stones personally. (laughs) So is that what the story is in 1 Samuel 17? Or is the story there to show us that there's someone who defies the glory of God and arrogantly boasts in his own strength. And an unlikely savior comes to represent the people as a federal head and defeat the impossible foe. So I've come to realize that I'm not David, that we're not David. We're actually more like Goliath. Uh, Chad Bird uh, wrote an article recently, and I just want to quote it. He said, the Philistine behemoth of a man who stood on the battlefield is more like we are than we care to admit. He is, in fact, the incarnation of everything that's wrong with us. We are born enemies of God. We are full of ourselves. We not only have a giant problem, we are a giant problem. 
We defy God. We exalt ourselves. It's all about me. And he goes on to say this. Goliath needs one thing. He needs to be killed. And that's what our David does. Our David, the new and second David, marches onto the battlefield to slay us. We need to die before we can live. There is no other way. But Christ, the son of David, and David's Lord, does not sling a rock into our big heads. He has a liquid weapon. He holds us under the water of baptism. In that wet death, we are joined to a bloody death, David's own. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death, Romans 6, 3. So we die, but we die with him. We're drowned, but we're crucified with him. David wraps his arm around us as Goliaths and plunges us into the watery grave or plunges into the watery grave with us. Together we die and together we rise. Isn't that awesome? So kind of to apply this, Christ has defeated the impossible foes, sin and death, the flesh, our final enemy death by dying in our place. And he rose again triumphantly and crushed the head of the serpent Mm. in one decisive death blow. And so now all who trust in their representative have been set free from this foe and we've received the victory. Awesome. Praise God for it. Praise the Lord, man. Good stuff. Well, this has been another episode of the Gospel Forum Podcast. And until next time, keep on reforming. For more information on the Gospel Forum, please make sure you visit us on our website at thegospelforum.com for more theological content. Also, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform and leave a review 